Welcome to the New Hope 365 podcast. Due to the rising number of COVID cases in our area, we are once again having church online only. For the easiest way to keep up with the latest information about New Hope 365, you can download our app by searching New Hope Round Rock in your favorite app store. And now, here is today's message. We are currently in a series entitled Reality, The Battle Between Good and Evil. We have been looking at uh, the different elements of the supernatural or the unseen realm. And the unseen realm impacting the seen realm and the seen realm impacting the unseen realm. I've looked at the, the idea of the battle that took place in heaven from scripture and how Satan and his, and his demons were cast out of heaven and they then took their battleground to the earth and which then led to the fall of mankind and mankind being enticed by uh, Satan and and sin entered the world and then we needed a savior. We needed a redeemer. And so Jesus came and he brought the battle. We've been talking about how he brought the, the, the from heaven. Jesus comes and he then engages the battle and defeated Satan and he conquered death, hell, and the grave. Now, remember, he defeated Satan in his first coming, but he will ultimately destroy Satan in his final coming. So we've been talking about that, and last week I talked about the, the demonic influence and in, in can you be possessed by, as a Christian, can you be possessed by a devil or by a demon? You can go back and tune in and, and, and watch that. Today, I'm talking about this worship battle that is going on for the hearts and the minds of God's people as well as humankind everywhere. There's this battle, this worship battle that is ensuing, and it's for your heart. I know when I graduated from high school, I had received a call from God to go into full-time vocational ministry. And as I began to ask individuals about what that would look like, and, and I had some conversations, I came to the conclusion that I was going to be eating beans and rice for the rest of my entire life in full-time vocational ministry. And so with that, I'm like, you know what? Honestly, that's really not the route, God, that I want to go down. And so I'm going to pursue um, a business career, and I'm going to make money, and then I can fund the kingdom. That way, I can, I can, I can serve you, Jesus, by funding your kingdom. That, that, that's good, right? You, you honor that. And my mom said to me, she said, you know, you can run from the call, but you can't hide. And she said, you will be one of the most, in, most disturbed individuals that, and, and frustrated individuals because you didn't obey the call. I'm like, I'm like, ah, well, I guess I'll have to find that out. And I remember one day after having a pretty uh, heated conversation with my mom, I got in a car and was headed to a meeting that I was behind, and I, I, I mean, I was behind time to get there. And I'm driving down the road, and I'm caught in traffic, and I'm in a construction zone, and and ultimately, a car in front of me jammed. Uh, just slammed on the brakes and I rear-ended that car and literally as I rear-ended that car I remember my windshield shattering I remember 
just sitting there wondering what in the world just happened. And then the car took it, got off the road, made a phone call, and the car was towed. And in that moment, I never, I'll never forget saying, okay, God, I surrender to you. And that began the journey of my vocational calling into full-time ministry in which I never turned back and I moved forward to obey my Heavenly Father. I don't know if you've ever met somebody who has been running from the call of God and, and, and if they're a Christian and they, they have given their life to Jesus and they have a call and they don't surrender to that call, they're the most miserable people to be around. And you can tell, and oftentimes I've had to say, maybe it would be best if you surrendered regardless. So for me, was money, was money the God, was money the worship battle that was going on in me? No, I wouldn't say that money was the battle. I would say that I was into more of the comfort and ease of life, and money could bring that and lift that up. But what had happened is that comfort and that ease that I so wanted had become the battle for worship in my heart. I worshiped comfort. There's a story about a woman who had a battle going on in her life. It's from John chapter 4. It's what we know as the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. And Jesus, interestingly, uh, goes and engages this woman in a, in a culture and in a place where the Jews didn't want to. In fact, they wanted to avoid the space and place where there was pagan worshipers and people that were uh, uh, fall, uh, falling and serving other idols and doing those types of things. She, he, he engages that when all the Jews were trying to avoid that. And it's interesting, if you look at John chapter 4 and you look starting at verse 7, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If only... If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't even have a bucket, she said, or rope in a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Of course, she's using her logic and we've talked about how we tend to want to rationalize things and naturalize things and all that. And she's asking just human questions. And besides... She goes, do you think you are greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this actual well? And how can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, she says, please. (laughs) She goes, I want this water. Give me this water that I will never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. Makes logical sense. I don't have to travel all that way to get here. 
She goes, he goes, go and get, Jesus says, go and get your husband. Jesus told her, and he, she said, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You do not have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the one you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? And so she's got this age-old battle that had been going on for hundreds of years in which the Jewish Jesus, God had given the Jewish community mandate to build a temple, to rebuild a temple and for worship of God. And the Samaritan culture, the, the, the idol worshipers and so forth, came to the Jews and said, hey, we would like to help you because we worship the same God. They thought they did, and the Jews were like, nope, that's not true. Your God is not our God. You need to go have some other place of worship. And so what the Samaritans did is they went to Gerizim and built their own place of worship, and the battle had been going on between the Jewish community and the Samaritans, the ones that were, were some, where, where it was other nations marrying into the Jewish culture, and they began pagan worshiping. And so they said, well, no, we worship the true God. No, you worship the true God, all of that. And that's going on in this moment. And so Jesus said in reply, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming instead and is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. Verse 24, For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ, or the anointed one. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Jesus was asked the theological issue dividing their religions, races, and worship. Where should we go to worship God? It was a big question. It's one where they're going, am I right? Am I wrong? Who's, who's got the truth? Who doesn't? All of that is taking place in this moment. Where should we go to worship God? And Jesus' answer changed the course of human history. Jesus declared an end to both the Samaritan place of worship and the Jewish place of worship and instead favored worshiping in spirit, that is, internally, by the Spirit of God in you and, and the Spirit of God backing up the truth, the truth being rooted in Scripture. So Scripture's are pointing to the Spirit in you. The Spirit in you is pointing to the Scripture, Spirit and truth, and said... Instead, he favored worshiping that way. The Father was actively seeking worshipers who weren't about going to a specific place or destination, but were more concerned about what was going on inside of them and what they were hearing and what they were listening to. 
You see, people could now worship any place because what was going to happen? Their bodies, like ours, those of us that call ourselves Christians, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that, and it is through us, through us that we worship God. And that's why we say we're New Hope 365 because we live our lives every day out and about. Not, we don't just come to a centralized location and say this is only where we worship. Our life is a living act of worship unto God. And so the, what, the woman's story is what it means to be turned to God from idols. You see, she had relational problems, social problems, sexual problems, spiritual problems, all kinds of stuff going on. Yet underneath all of those issues that this woman had, Jesus knew that her issue was idolatry. He knew that she, how, how could a woman who's had five marriages and now in a sixth relationship with a man, how she, what she had done is misprioritized and had put in the, in, in the, on the pedestal of her heart, she had placed relationship with a man as highest priority, idolatry, which was not filling her heart and meeting the need because only God could meet that need. And Jesus knew that, that she was, she was passionate about this relationships that she's had and was a desperate worshiper, but she was devoting all of her passion to the wrong thing. God has created us to worship him, but idolatry is the counterfeit. And like the Samaritan woman, we worship our way into trouble by worshiping counterfeits. And we worship our way out of trouble by worshiping the creator. One of the main issues of the Bible is worship versus idolatry. It's a big theme throughout Scripture. The first two of the Ten Commandments teach us what? Teach us that you are one, we are not to have any other God before God. We are not have to have any other one before God. The second, you're not to make any idols. In fact, and, and worship those idols. The other eight commandments, you cannot break those other eight commandments and do those two. And likewise, when you do these two, love the Lord your God with all your heart. He is priority, no idols. What happens is that these other eight are fulfilled as well. And so we see that God shows us in the Ten Commandments, He teaches us who to worship, what not to worship, and teaches us how to worship and how not to worship. And so worship starts with God, and God is a worshiper. It's the very essence of who He is. He made us in His image and in the likeness and His likeness as worshipers. Worship is not merely at all a part of just what we do and something that starts and stops. We often think, well, I was at church or I was online for 15 minutes or whatever, and that was my worship moment to which our Heavenly Father says, no, 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 that, that's, that may be a moment, but worship goes way beyond that. The issue is not if we worship, but who, what, and how we worship. And you're going to worship something or someone. So, 
Think about sports for a minute. Somebody gets up on a weekend. They have already spent a significant amount of money getting tickets and getting merchandise and putting the gear on and going and painting their faces and going and tailgating and they go into their stadium of worship and for the next three or four or five hours they worship in that environment and that is their God. That is their God. Or how about somebody else goes online and gets some tickets to a concert, they get the merchandise, they wear the shirts, they go and the lights come up and the music begins to play and as that unfolds, the person begins to sing and worship in that concert. That is their worship. It could be, it could be this, where somebody spends all their time and money on golf, on boating, on fishing, on sex, on gambling, watching TV, surfing the internet, ranting about politics. But the reality is, is in all of these scenarios, he or she is making a sacrifice of praise, or sacrifice, I'm sorry, of idolatry, which is an act of worship. That's their sacrifice. That's their sacrifice. To the alcoholic, it's the bottle. To the drug addict, it's a high. To the codependent, it's relationship. To the greedy person, it's the demon of mammon, or that is the love of money. The control freak, it's power. To the helicopter parent, it's their kids. We all worship something, and whatever that sacrifice is becomes our act of worship. Worship is what happens when we worship the Creator God in the right way, in spirit, the Spirit of God in us, the inner man or woman God is speaking to, and truth is aligned with the Word of God through Scripture, and you connect those two together, each affirming and confirming the fact that you are worshiping God in the right way. Idolatry is what happens when we worship a counterfeit God. So, what constitutes a counterfeit God or object of worship? Martin Luther said this, Whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. Trust and faith of the heart alone make both God and idol. I commonly ask somebody if they've accepted Jesus into their life Maybe you've heard this statement or asked the, the question, have you, given, have you asked Jesus into your heart? Maybe you were told that, you know, asked that question in Sunday school growing up or whatever environment you were in. And the counterfeit is when people have taken idols into their heart and that's what they make their God and that's what, how they prioritize their life. Underlying idolatry is a lie that something or someone other than God can do a fine job being the object of our worship. We think that that thing or those things or that idea or whatever is going to be enough. And the reality is, it's not. You see, God made us to worship Him by enjoying everything 
everyone and everything that he graciously provides for us. And Satan, what Satan wants to do is he wants to counterfeit and he wants you to worship the gifts rather than the giver of the gifts. He, he doesn't care if, if you go, okay, yeah, God made that. Yeah, you can, you can say that God made that, whatever. But I want to take your attention onto the thing that God made and you worship that. That's the tactic of the enemy. And you go, oh, but it's a good thing. God created it. Yeah, but God never intended for you to worship the gift. He always intended for you to worship the giver. So as long as you worship something other than God, Satan's good with it, and you're no threat to his dominion of darkness. Romans 1, verses 24 through 25 says that this is the way humankind has chosen to go in many circumstances as it relates to idols. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts, that is humankind, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. It says here in Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, they worshiped things, created things, rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. So, how does God feel about idolatry? One word. He's a jealous God. As you study Scripture, as you worship God in spirit and in truth, as you look through Scripture, He talks about idolatry. It ripples all throughout Scripture. And one word defines the way God is when it comes to us taking our affections anywhere else other than Him. He's jealous. Here's a way to illustrate it. Imagine you come home from work one day, and as you come in the door and you're getting ready to have dinner with your family, there sits at the dinner table the adulterer who's sitting there with your spouse. How would you feel? How would you feel to show up, walk in your house, only to see that, that your spouse is sitting with someone else and is giving affection and time to someone other than you? Well, you would probably have all kinds of emotions. Could be rage, could be anger, could be whatever. Uh, could jealousy, of course. It would be a tragedy, wouldn't it? Well, imagine how our Heavenly Father is when He comes and it's a spiritual table and only to come in and to go, oh, I'm going to have this moment in time and connection and intimacy with this, with this individual. But no, instead, they put every other thing. He looks at it and the Bible says that he's a jealous God. And God knows, God knows that, our, that the, the enemy in the unseen realm is vying for our attention every day of our life. And if we're not alert, and if we're not tuned in, and we're not worshiping our Heavenly Father in spirit and in truth, we can be so easily swayed one way or the other and God, and it hurts the heart of our Heavenly Father because we have given our affections to someone other than Him. 1 John 5, 18-21 says this, We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. That's encouraging. 
We don't want any enemy or Satan to touch us. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under control of the evil one. What we've been talking about, this world is under currently under control of the enemy of our soul in the unseen realm impacting the scene. And we know that the Son of God, verse 20, has come and he has given us an understanding so that we can know the true God and now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and He is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. So I wonder, what is taking the place of God? What is vying for your attention? What's going on there? I know that when we place other things before God and we misprioritize life and intimacy is removed with God, we go into what is known as spiritual slavery. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 verses 14 through 25 speaks to this. He talks about his humanness and the reality of the battle that is going on between good and evil. And he says, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, he says, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, he says, for, for what I want to do He goes, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know, he keeps going on and says, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. Verse 21, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong? Anybody, can anybody empathize with this? When, when, when I, I have discovered the principle, when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I, verse 22, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave, and scripture uses the word slave. Our common cultural language would be addict or addiction. And so, when it says, this power makes me a slave or an addict to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am, Paul says. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And he goes, thank God, thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So even at this moment, as I'm preaching this and you're hearing this, I want you to understand that you and I are not capable of defeating sin. We're not capable of being righteous on our own merit. We literally, if you're going every day, I can figure this out and it's going to be okay and I can, I can manage all of this, this stuff and idolatry that's going on. You can't manage anything 
in the unseen and in the spiritual realm apart from Jesus Christ. He is your source. He is my source. It is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, living within us that will help us to overcome the idols and the battle of worship that's going on for our soul and for our life. Second Peter 2.19 says, For you are a slave of whatever controls you. So when Christians are addicted or slaves, you have a couple options here. You don't have a lot. You have a few options. First, if you're, if you're addicted, what do you do? You could minimize things. You'd be like, ah, you know what? I can manage this. It's not that big a deal. So you minimize the, the idolatry or the worship battle going on. You go, yeah, yeah, I got this sin. I got this struggle. I got these things that I focus on too much and whatever it may be. And you minimize it. You try to manage it and call everything okay. Or, secondly, you can compartmentalize. And what is that? You basically, you try to hide it. You hope nobody figures it out. And you live, live a secret double life. And intimacy in those moments Intimacy with people totally goes away because you are living with secret, compartmentalized sin, a double life. Third thing, celebration. You go, hey, I can't seem to beat it, so if I can't beat it, I might as well just join the sin and engage it in this moment. And sadly, when you should be ashamed of it, you're celebrating it and living it out. Or the fourth thing, as far as what we do, when we are addicted or slaves to something, is we pray for liberation. We walk in freedom, God intends, by doing what? By killing what is killing us. By killing what is killing us. It's accepting Christ into our life and rejecting Satan and saying, these things that have had power or influence or control over me have caused me to be a slave. I reject those things in Jesus' name. And Satan, you have no more power. You have no more authority at all in my life. And you ask for freedom in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.5 says this. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. So, how do you become free from idolatry? How do you become free from idolatry? You see, slaves need freedom, right? To be set free from slavery, a redeemer is needed which is a, is a huge theme, a mega theme throughout Scripture. Redemption. In fact, the word redemption and its derivatives appear roughly 150 times throughout the English Bible. Ephesians 2, verses 2 through 3 says, You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying who? The devil in the unseen realm, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And oftentimes people don't even know it. That's why even today singing the song Amazing Grace and how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. His spirit at work in the hearts of those... The fact is, Christians, that when those blinders are removed and now I see, there's a reason to sing that song and go. And if you didn't get that verse, I would, I would say go back and listen 
because that's what has happened in the lives of true followers of Jesus Christ. And the opposite, for those that are blind, the Spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God is the enemy, the unseen realm impacting the scene. All of us used to live that way. All of us used to be blind. All of us used to be bound. All of us used to be addicted. All of us used to have something that took our affections away from God. All of us were like that. We all used to have that, following our passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. So what needs to happen? Captives of the demonic realm need to be set free by Jesus. They need to be set free by Jesus. And I love what Jesus did in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And he gives explanation of what he's getting ready to do in culture. And it started with him in the New Testament and then goes to this day till the very end. And this is what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free. God is desiring for you and me to live in freedom, to live free from slavery and bondage to the things of this world. He is wanting us to totally be liberated. And how do we do that? We do that through Jesus. And then Jesus does what? Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit fills us, and it literally revolutionizes our life. And that's what he's desiring to do today. And if anything, if anything is standing in the way, Today, repent of that, renounce that, and invite Jesus to remove blinders, to liberate, and to free. Here's a final thought today. As everyone starts life a slave to sin, right? We are born into a sinful world. Slaves to sin need to trust in Jesus, the Redeemer who died that we might live. We needed that. Jesus comes to crush whatever is ruling over us, setting us free to worship God in all of our life so that we don't have to be bound. And the slavery of sinful addictions is both physical and a spiritual problem. You know, we've got this physical body we're in, we've got the spiritual realm, and we've got the Spirit of God working, wanting to work inside of us, but oftentimes we push that away, and then we've got these, these behaviors going on. And in recent years, tied to the physical and the spiritual problem, specifically in the, in the area of our physical, the field of biopsychology has discovered how the slavery of addiction rewires the human brain. A Christian man named William Struthers has looked at the physical side of addictive slavery to, our, to pornography. And in his book, Wired for Intimacy, he uses a helpful analogy. He uses a helpful analogy called A Walk in the Woods, and it's called a pleasure path. And here's the idea. You're out and you're hiking through the woods. Maybe you're nearing the end of your hike. And as you get to the end of that hike, you come upon a place in the forest or a place in the woods. And as you come to it, you're like, whoa. This is incredible. And you see, you see these, this waterfall coming down and you see streams and you see ponds and they're glorious and you hear birds, you see birds and it's like an exotic place. And, and, and 
It's like nothing, you're like, this is incredible, amazing, and you're like, man, I'm gonna have to come back to this. So, another day comes around, and you're out hiking, and you get back to the path, and you get to that place, and you see the waterfall, and you see the streams, and you see the ponds, and you see the birds, and, and, and you're, you're, you're seeing these beautiful flowers and all of that. And in time, what happens is that each time you go back, the path widens a little bit more. The, the, the way to get there, it's like you don't even have to really even think about it anymore. It's now an unconscious effort. You, you just go there and you want it more and more and more. And with most any pleasure, the same thing happens in our brains and bodies. It's a neural pathway is carved out. Through repeated behavior, Struthers says, the orbital, uh, orbital frontal cortex is our emotional modulatory system. And this is the decision-making system. To be addicted to something is to release dopamine, which causes you to want it and to make the decision to pursue it. That's our addictive pathway. And so, so what happens is that with our life, when we continue to go down that path and the dopamine is released, we want it more and we want it more, but in time on that pathway, it satisfies less and less and less. But now it's become an idol. It's become an object of our worship. It's become something that it takes precedence over God. It is destroying your life. And God created the pleasure path for his glory and our good. We were made to enjoy God and all that God provided for us to enjoy in this world. And had sin not entered the world and our bodies, we would only have pleasure without the pain. How cool would that be? Ah, and for those of us that follow Jesus and are Christians, one day we won't have any more pain. It will be pleasure for eternity, which is hard to fathom because we experience so much pain. So sin enters the world, and had sin not entered, we would only know the freedom of enjoying what God gives without falling into what? Slavery, addiction, that worship battle for our heart, our soul. See, the problem with this pleasure path is that we go to the things that we think will satisfy. And the problem with idols is that they lie. Their demonic deception is that they can satisfy. It doesn't. Only God can satisfy. Life with God, obedience to God, and freedom through God can satisfy. Only Him and Him alone. So, what's the good news? The good news in this spiritual, in this worship, these worship battles that are going on is that we can build new pathways. We don't have to. We can, we can, by the Spirit of God working in us, we can say, those are paths that I'm not going down. I'm not, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let my job, I'm not going to let sports, I'm not going to let money, I'm not going to let my kids, I'm not going to let my spouse, I'm not going to let anybody have place on the pedestal of my heart. That is set exclusively for God, my Creator. 
And if there's anything today that you've taken and you've placed as, as this worship battle is going on and you've placed it above God, it's time to recalibrate and to ask God for help. And when we do, you, by the Holy Spirit's help, will begin to build new pathways. And how do you do that? I have come to the conclusion that as I worship God like we did today, as we continue that act of worship through our actions and through our life and and choosing to worship Him in spirit and truth, so we worship Him, we pray, and we begin to learn and engage Scripture. And as your mind is renewed, what begins to happen is the pathways begin to be made to the place where the dopamine rush is not about the things of this world, but is to the creator of the universe, who is the one only, only one worthy of our worship. So, would you bow your head and close your eyes today as as I pray over you and let God speak to you at this moment. Heavenly Father, I pray for those listening and those that God will tune in later, that Lord Jesus, that as the unseen realm is impacting the scene and all of this and the, is going on around us and culture is, is, it, everything is trying to distract us and addict us and, and lock us into something that will take us away from God, Help us not to be deceived. Help us not to be carried away by our own lust and enticed. But help us, O oh God, today to be filled fresh with your Spirit. In fact, where you are, if you just even place your hands, just a posture of receiving the Spirit of God fresh. Spirit of God, we receive you fresh in our life right now. And we ask that you would remove anything that's not of you that has had affection above you in our lives. Free us, O God. Fill us, O God. May we love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Encourage God us today. Strengthen us today as a church so that we can continue to be the people on this earth that show that the enemy, Satan, is a deceiver and a liar, But God, you are the way, the truth, and the life through Jesus Christ. Help us to be that. Today, in the weeks and months and years to come, until you come back, Jesus, to destroy the enemy. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for loving us and not giving up on us. In your awesome and mighty name, God, we pray. Amen. Today, if you prayed with me and you are in pursuit of God. Don't stop. Continue to pursue. Continue to seek God. And if for the first time you're going, you know what I do, I want to surrender to this Jesus. And church online, you can go up to the button and you can click on uh, the next steps and we'll help you on the journey to Christ, what we say is Christ-centered wholeness and being whole in Jesus. Or you can just follow up even an email to me, info at newhope365.com U.S. And I would love to connect with you and get you on a path to knowing this Jesus who loves you and gave his life for you. So, 
That being said, may this week be an incredible week for you. May God strengthen you and fill you like never before. And I can't wait to hear testimonies of what God is doing as the idols are removed and the Spirit of God is put, and God is put front and center. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd like to invite you to visit our website for all the latest news and announcements for New Hope 365. We have added some temporary buttons to our homepage to make it quick and easy for you to request prayer, sign up for our email list, see current needs and opportunities to serve, as well as give. You can find it all at newhope365.church. That's newhope, the numbers 365.church.